Hey there, and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 27 of Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Sandemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Doug Clay, who's the General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God in the United States, and um, just a phenomenal opportunity to sit and learn from him. Um, we discuss what it was like to grow up as Doug Clay, um, where was the genesis um, in his life for his love for missions and missionaries. Um, we discuss uh, ideas and questions about what advice he has for for global workers as they come back to the United States and uh, engage with the local church in the U.S. Um, he discusses his vision for the Assemblies of God as we we look to the future as far as diversity and how we can engage um, how we can engage different types of leaders and and engage for the future. He, he gives some great input, I think, and um, some great insight that was valuable for us all. So really appreciate um, Doug spending some time with us on the podcast today. Do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, which is agwmafrica.org for an increasingly redeemed and transformed Africa. 50 countries, 257 training centers, 404 missionaries, and 79,106 indigenous churches. Discover what you can do and how you can be engaged at agwmafrica.org. Do also want to encourage you to continue to send in your your questions for Back Channel with Foth, and that's where uh, Dick Foth joins us on the podcast to answer um, listeners' questions, and you can send those to me. Um, my email address is found in the show notes and uh, we, we love doing that and love learning from Dick. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Pastor Doug Clay, it's great to have you with us on the Clarity Podcast. Jumbo Jumbo, it's a delight to be with you in Africa, Nigeria, uh, Nairobi holds a <laughs> great place in my heart. My first missions trip as a youth pastor was wow. in Nairobi, Kenya. We stayed at East Africa School of Theology, wow. brought about 20 students, did some evangelism explosion training, and helped to plant a church in Pumwani. So it was wow. a lot of fun. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. And just so everyone knows that I'm respecting, I asked before we started this, and he said I could call him Doug throughout the podcast. So I just want the listeners to know that I'm. It's, he gave me permission. So um, when you're speaking to the leader of this Homies of God, it's it's good to make sure we touch all of our bases. So um, Doug, just like to start off a conversation, just what was it like growing up as Doug Clay? Like, where did you grow up? And, yeah. And what was it like growing up? Yeah, you know, thanks, Aaron. I'm a third-generation Pentecostal preacher's kid, born and raised in Adrian, Michigan. Okay. So I had a healthy view of ministry, healthy view of church life. Um, when I was nine years old, my dad died suddenly of a massive heart attack. Hmm. Uh, I was nine. My brother was 16. My sister was 18. But my mom was on staff. The pastor that came in kept her on staff. Uh, wow. She still lives in Adrian, Michigan, and is volunteering at age 90. She's, she's going and growing and just uh, involved. So I had a very, very healthy upbringing, uh, due in part because my mom was healthy as a, yeah. as, as a Christ follower, but the healthy church. And yeah. I think that's why I have such a great love for the church, Aaron, because I feel like I was raised by the church. I yeah. uh, All the major spiritual events in my life took place in the context of the local church. So 
That's why I have such a passion to give back to the local church. Wow. Wow. And uh, yeah, even that's a, it's amazing. I grew up, you know, we, we, I grew up a uh, second generation Pentecostal somebody's God and um, always loved it. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night family. We were there. My mom was the missionettes leader and my dad was deacon on the at church. And um, I just love going to church to be honest with you. And um, so it's a, uh, it's very similar upbringing and uh yeah. You shared you have a, a love for missions. Where did the love for missions um, come from? Is that something just growing up in Assemblies of God Church that happened by osmosis? Or, yeah, could you just share a little bit about that? Yeah, I would say, again, I tie it back to the local church, yeah. you know, where missionaries would come. Uh, there was always a compelling, uh, a compelling story, a compelling visual about that. Um, than to be able to talk to missionaries, just to get up close and personal uh, with a missionary. I know this sounds, I don't know how it sounds, so just take it for what it's worth. <laughs> there have been two times in my life I've been immobilized or slain in the spirit. And one yeah. was when Bernard Johnson at a Faith hmm. Promise Missions Crusade was praying and prayed. And, yeah. and that had a big impact on me. I know, uh, theologically, I don't even know what to say, but it just, it, it, it had a huge impact. So, I've always kind of been around it. I've always been engaged, whether it's BGMC, Speed the Light, or my wife and I. Um, uh, since 1985, I've been involved in Faith Promise. And yeah. each year I've tried to outgive God and lost every time. And, uh, <laughs> so it's just a part of our ethos. I, um, I love our missiology, but more importantly, I love the opportunity um, that I think I get personally by participating in missions giving. I think hmm. there's a there is a missional blessing that comes. There's a there's a verse in Psalms that says, uh, uh, I'm gonna paraphrase it now, uh, about fearing the Lord so that to, so all the earth, all the ends of the earth will fear him. Hmm. And, and, and the and the essence of that is is I want that blessing. I want to be able to give in such a way so that all of the ends of the earth will fear or get to know the Lord. And I believe that that's, uh, that's a part of a blessing that comes to people that can participate, whether they go, whether they give, uh, yeah. pray. So yeah, have a, have a love uh, and like the church, like missions, like a lot of things. It changes over the course of times. We're 107 years old as a fellowship. And so to think that I am talking to Aaron in Nairobi as opposed to looking at slides and a Wednesday night service <laughs> is different. But, hey, uh, the outcome is the same. We want to reach one more for Jesus. We want to yeah. we want to create the sovereignty of the local church in in those areas and with that people group. So, yeah, I have a great, great love and affection for who we are as a missions movement. Yeah, for sure. And I appreciate that. I, I was, was telling that we had some people visit, um, uh, visit us from the Salvation Army. And um, we served first in Burkina Faso. And um, one of the, the first missionary from the Somebody's God who died there, his last name was Booth. And um, so I was talking, sharing that story. Anyway, long story, ended up going back through the Pentecostal Evangel um, archives. And in the end, in the, at the end of that archive, it shared the churches that gave. So you're talking back in the early 30s, already that spirit of giving was there um, from yeah. our foundation. And so it was just interesting for me to see Piedmont, West Virginia, which is up near where I'm from, that they had the name of the, the, the person who gave and the amount they gave 
even there it was, and uh, just the love for missions that obviously think, have been in front. You know, Aaron, not to hijack your your podcast, they're your questions I want to ask, but um, you you bring out a good point. Um, I think as it relates to some of the fourth, fifth generation AG kids that we raise up, two things. Number one, we can't take for granted that they understand our missiology, you, mm. you know, about the indigenous church principle. But secondly, I think for me, I really want to move beyond creating hearts of generosity. And generosity is sort of a buzzword right now in today's culture. It's, uh, hey, be generous, generosity, spirit of generosity. And, and I get all that, and that's important. I'd yeah. rather develop a heart of compassion. I think out mm. of compassion will come generosity. And so I don't want generosity to replace compassion when mm. it comes to embedding um, sort of a, a, a worldview and a global cause in the hearts of our next generation. Wow, that's good. That's a very good word. Very good word. Doug, you know, looking back 2020, I don't think if anybody had to imagine, um, we would have thought up the 2020 that we had. Um, is there, as leading the Assemblies of God, is there a leadership lesson that maybe you learned in 2020 and um, during this difficult, that difficult year and, and you'd be willing to share with us? Sure. It's true. (laughs) Uh, I was never given a playbook in Bible college on how to lead a church (laughs) through a pandemic. You know, we had these invisible plagues that sheltered us in, and we had all these visible plagues that brought us out in demonstration. And then we had some raw political stuff going on. So it was really, uh, we're writing history. You know, we're writing history right now. And I want to make sure that what we write, I want to make sure that how we make history is better than what we write about history. Hmm. And, Hmm. you know, I say that from this vantage point, I haven't heard a trumpet sound yet. So that means the church is still in business. There hasn't taken place a rapture. So we're still in business. Um, I guess I would, uh, one of the strongest leadership principles, we might get into other things on on how the church adapts and where we go from here, but from a leadership principle, um, there were a lot of filters, there were a lot of voices that were talking to pastors, talking to churches, and I think the pastors that filtered out some of the unnecessary noise or the partial truth, uh, and, and really stayed focused in their lane on kingdom building. I, I suspect uh, what 2020 revealed to some churches is that we were co-opting more with political ideologies rather than we were with kingdom principles. Wow. And those political ideologies shape whether or not we open or not open, whether we obey the government or not. And I, yeah. and I just, that was a real concern to me that I felt like our co-opting uh, with with political issues and political statements, somehow put a, a, a mute on our prophetic relevance. And uh, the churches that seem to really thrive well as those that stayed in the lane of being very, very missionally focused, missionally lasered focus on our lane is the building of the kingdom of God, rather than jumping in in some of the other lanes that aren't really ours to be. And we can be a voice but they're not ours in terms of stewardship and leadership. Wow. 
And it's, you know, it, it takes discipline to stay in those lanes though. <laughs> the drift, at least for me, the I'll own it. The drift for me seems to get involved in things that are outside of those lanes and, um, but a very, very valuable and insightful point. Um, yeah. And so as you look to the future and the future of the Assemblies of God, and we, we know where general counsel is coming up and and not, man, time's going fast, not too many months um, as we, as the day we record this. Um, and as you, we look at the Assemblies of God and it's adapting, preparing for the future. What do you see for the Assemblies of God during these turbulent times? Sure. Thanks. I'll, uh, I'll speak that kind of generically as I'm watching churches continue to wrestle with digital world, in-person world, and what happens when the attractional model shuts down right away and you have to be a deployment model of doing church. And I still think we're learning that. Even as we're opening up, the opening up is not returning to kind of the pre-COVID, either in terms of number or sort of dynamics. So so what do you do? How, how do you operate in that space? And, and uh I, I, I would start, first of all, by saying I, I sincerely applaud Assemblies of God churches that during COVID, they really did pivot well. They they helped others get up and have an online presence. Um, I, I was quoted often by saying just because services were canceled doesn't mean the church was canceled. And I watched that. But now that things are opening back up, What's that look like? And what is it? I will say, um, I personally believe that all of the uh, the propaganda that says the church is in demise is grossly exaggerated. Uh, I'm watching some churches thrive and, and become missionally fruitful. Don't quite look like what they did pre-COVID, but Man, reaching people for Jesus, water baptizing people, seeing people uh, experience the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So uh, that's that. For us as an Assembly of God tribe, I, um, you know, I really felt right in the middle of COVID, uh, there was a commission on ethnicity report that was given. And uh, uh, I, I really felt like the Lord spoke something to my heart about our future. Um, a, a numerical kind of goal as well as then a philosophical goal. A philosophical goal, we've appointed a committee called AG Looking Forward. What does it look like, um, you know, five years from now to create an onboarding presence for a lot of millennial and Gen Zers to say, man, this is the tribe that I want to express my calling in. This is where I want to uh, have that. So we're looking, we're looking at the credentialing process. We're looking at some of our systems and our structure. Do you have all these different departments or do you, do you focus on next gen? In other words, hmm. elementary to high school and what are the discipleship outcomes that you want to see happen? And so we're taking that uh, really, really seriously. But if our listeners could, could remember these numbers, 15, Thousand, forty thousand, fifty plus, fifteen thousand, forty thousand, fifty plus. Felt like the Lord spoke to my heart that I want to see fifteen thousand churches in the Assemblies of God USA. I want to see forty thousand credentialed ministers, mm-hmm. and I'd love to get to the point where we are fifty-one percent ethnic minority, so we can no longer say we have a majority as it relates to our ethnicity. 
Wow. It's very, very doable. So let me unpack that. The 15,000, we have about 13,000 churches, 12,900 depends. And I get it. Some have closed, but we've stayed at that. We stayed at that number for, for quite a while. So how do you create a multiplying mindset? How do you, how do you cast this vision so that it's owned regionally, not just uh, from a district? And we're working to that end. 40,000 credentialed ministers. That means we got to start recruiting like crazy our elementary and junior high students about hearing the voice of God. And we've created a national called camp. There's been a book that's written about called. The goal is to really mine those students from the altar experience till they're actually educationally uh, trying to prepare themselves for that calling. And then uh, the 50% plus. We're currently, Aaron, we're currently at 44% ethnic minority. In other words, if you hmm. take the census of the Assemblies of God USA, our census re- reflects that we're 44% ethnic minority. We only have to grow by 6% yeah. to be at that. That's very, very doable. So I have met with our ethnic fellowship presidents. I've talked to them about um, infusing themselves in their the people that they represent into our established districts and networks and uh, really want to see those goals become a possibility. Now, here's, here's the reality, because you always have to define reality. If the way in which we're doing things now in terms of credentialing, church planting, if, 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 the, if, the, if, if the outcomes are the way in which we're doing it, now, it'll take us 40 years to achieve that goal. Wow. So that means we got to change some things. We got to change some things on how we're planning churches. We got to change some things on how we grow our pipeline and our outcomes of credentialing. And this committee and our leadership is very, very open to say, okay, what's that look like? What's hmm. what's what's the AG looking forward? What do we have to do to to accomplish so that it doesn't take us 40 years to achieve those goals? Wow. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm looking for, but during these, I think your question was, what's the future look like for turbulent time? Man, I want to stay, I just want to stay a, a Bible-engaged, spirit-empowered, missions-participating church that's constantly looking at ways that we can multiply, that we can multiply our effectiveness. Yeah. Um, and again, I said at the beginning, tongue-in-cheek, but there hasn't been a trumpet blast. That means yeah. there's not been a rapture. That means yeah. the church is in business, and I'm ready to rock and roll. That's awesome. I love that spirit of evaluative curiosity and um, the the willingness to say, hey, we're going to be curious about the way things are and um, we're going to evaluate how those things are. And then the willingness to hear the Holy Spirit and guidance and direction and um, and into change. So for me, that's exciting. I'm no longer younger the next gen. I'm the, the old gen now. But anyway, it's exciting. It's exciting for me. So. You know, the other question I wanted to just ask you, you know, many of the missionaries were, were living across to the other side of the world. And and if you watch the news, it doesn't seem like there's a week or two that goes by without hearing about a Christian leader, or some very prominent, some not so prominent, um, being exposed maybe during this time of COVID about a hidden life or some some part of their life that's just, yeah, been exposed. Um, and so, I guess my question is this. How, what can pastors and missionaries do so that we're not the next one? We're not the next person um, that's, that's in the news or, or not very well known. And then, yeah, it, that would start with that. Yeah, well, I, you know, um, 
sin is sin. And if Satan can take you out, he's going to take you out. I personally am deeply concerned that in coming days, we don't see a spike in some of this. You can't be you can't be as isolated as we were without having the enemy create types of temptation that have a tendency to disqualify people from ministry. I mean, um, that was David's issue. He got isolated. And so he was in his, his own little on the rooftop uh, away from battle. So isolation, isolation that we've come through. Um, but I, I have a real burden to create safe places and safe people for our ministers to talk about. You know, um, we're all we're all works of grace and process and in progress. And I think historically we've not done very well of being able to talk about struggles. You talk about a struggle, oh, your credentials are in jeopardy. And so early on in the pandemic, we put a mental health committee together and just talked about how do we care for the emotional and mental well-being of our ministers? Because oftentimes that those are the areas that some of that the enemy gains a foothold, and that's where some of these struggles begin and find their birthings. Um, and uh, we've talked a lot with our elders. And when I refer to elders, I'd be like executive presbytery, district superintendents, about just safe places, safe spaces for some of our ministers and their spouses to come and talk, talk about the real struggles, talk about the emotional fatigue. You know, through this, through this time, uh, I remember one week, uh, in a period of two weeks, this would have been last fall, where some places were kind of starting to open. And I was at two different churches that pre-COVID, pre-COVID, they were 2,000 plus in attendance. You would think them to be successful, effective churches. In both weekends that I was with that, those pastors, on their, on their dime and at their initiative, both of them talked about, you know, if I could find something else to do and do it, I would do it. I am that tired of what I'm going through. Well, I'm sure that's compounded even in the missionary world of being so suspended and, and kind of on hold. So, so this caring for your soul, caring for your uh, your emotional well-being. It's one thing to do what David said. I got to encourage myself in the Lord, but it's another thing to have your ecclesiastical body come around and say, you know what? We're going to create environments and places, and we're even going to create people that it's safe to talk to without a threat of, oh, I'm instantly going to lose my credentials because I shared my heart. So I think that's some things that we can do and just be very honest uh, uh, about um, the emotional impact that COVID had. And again, I see this as being more preventative than it is, um, boy, after the fact and having to deal with the consequences. That's that resonates with me. I know within Africa, as we were developing a, a model that we can care for missionaries, we, we want care to become more re restorative and preventative rather than punitive. And I think in the past, it's care and, and asking for, for care has been more on the, as you uh, articulated, it's 
credentials and how's this going to affect me, but just saying, Hey, we want to care for people and we want to walk, walk alongside you. And um, yeah, that's, that's, that's encouraging. Cause it is uh, yeah, is, is we're from a distance, but also the isolation. I think the questions of belonging and then um, as what I'm, what is what I'm doing, does it matter? And when you're isolated, as you shared, the enemy sometimes can, uh, he can, he can make progress and, um, and we just need to battle that. So, yeah. And so on that line, what can a, a missionary do? And what can a missionary do to encourage a pastor in the United States? What can a missionary do to be encouraging uh, our national church, which is, which is in the United States? How, how can we serve as missionaries? How can we serve the national church and in the U.S.? Yeah. So in preparation for that, I wrote three things. Change the narrative, give a win story, and stay connected. Hmm. So let me back up and unpack that. When I talk about changing the narrative, I, I, I think I would love missionaries' narrative to be, hey, what can I do to help you win on your local church rather than can I get that $50 a month support? That'll come. But I think if the narrative is, hey, what can I do to help you become missionally fruitful where you are? And then that leads to the second thing, give a win story. Because I think more and more, uh, it used to be that um, when, I, when I pastored in Toledo, Ohio, there was a philosophy of our church that, hey, every, every missionary that comes out of Ohio will pick up on support. But you know what? That's no longer the case anymore. Most pastors want to feel a sense of what is the return on my investment for supporting Aaron. So I think if you can give some win stories that they can use and then let it be seen that you're part of their staff in Nairobi. You're not just a part of this institutional 2,500 number, but you're a part of Toledo Calvary's mission arm in Nairobi and give a win story. And then I think thirdly, um, you know, yeah, I hear all the time the, uh, um, uh, the challenge about the three minute to five minute window. And that's about all I get. Well, I would flip it, flip the script and go, man, I've got access every single day electronically to stay connected. I don't just need a three minute window. I can do a 30-second weekly update that's that's contextualized for an individual supporter. And so I would just say stay connected. Stay connected to, to, to let your supporting churches know you're praying for them. Um, and uh, those that do that well seem to be well-received by, by pastors and missions boards that want to pick them up for support. Very, very, very insightful. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think that the reality of it is we want to, it is our national church. And as we see, we want to help, we want to care, we want to be a part of it. And uh, I appreciate the insight. And um, sometimes as you know, I've been on, I've been on the field now for 20 years. And um, the many, the more years you spend over the less, it's hard to understand exactly what the cultural shifts are that are going on. And I used to, when people would say that, I'd say, come on, you're American, you have to understand. But now I understand. I've been I spent a lot of years overseas, and so it's insightful and very appreciative of, well, of that. The other thing you look at, Aaron, you know, used to be every four years you come back. Culture didn't change that much. I, I mean, culture changes about every nine months. 
yeah. you kind of got to look at it from semester to semester rather yeah. than a presidential term to a presidential term. So I think just the fact that culture changes so quickly yeah. um, sort of demands back to what I said, stay connected, stay yeah. connected to, uh, to the American church, to the church cadence, to the church issues, so that when you come home, you can become a church health enthusiast and advocate rather than, uh, ah, this is a necessary evil that I got to try to find a way to, to build in. And so, yeah, good word. Yeah, that's good, word. good word. I always, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I've always said people invite you to come to the church. People listen to you take whatever they give you three or five minutes to have anybody listen to you for that long. And then they take you out to lunch or take you out to dinner. I said, it's, it's, it could be a lot worse. I guarantee it. And, uh, and to be involved and be there and encourage yourself. So, I know one of your questions was what would advice would you give to a mission? For sure. I would develop a hot five minute devotional. That's got some, that's laced with stories and say, Hey, pastor, go ahead and use this for your business meeting. Hmm. You know, you think about it, church business meetings, usually by the bylaw, start out with the devotion. Yeah. Well, what if the devotion was provided by one of the missionaries and, and you literally tailor, hey, as you gather with the core of this church, thank you. You're yeah. going to have business. You're going to vote on a bill. But I just want you to know what you're doing. And so you tailor a devotional to be used for a church business meeting. I guarantee you, you put one of those together and you send it out to your support base. A lot of pastors would use that. That just yeah. would add some flavor to a business meeting at a church um, that that it's not a Sunday morning window and it's not a missions board meeting committee. It's, 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 you're speaking to the core, but it's a, a, a niche, sort of a niche need. That's awesome. That's awesome. One last question. I've, I've already taken a little more of your time than I've asked for. Um, what is something that you believe that missionaries should know, but maybe they do not. And um, yeah, they're far from the, far from the church. Maybe there's something that the missionaries don't know about the local church. Cause you've shared your heart and passion for the local church and for pastors um, in the United States and missionaries around the world. What's something that maybe you think maybe the missionary doesn't understand, doesn't know this and it'd be good for them to know. You know, that's a great, that's a great question. I would just say this, and I want to say it in an appropriate um, way. You see the national churches oftentimes through the lenses of the AGWM, uh, the Assemblies of God USA mission paradigm. Hmm. But the world is getting flat, and some of the national church connects with the national church over here, not always a part of the AGWM. Now, we can do one of two things. We can be mad and say, hey, that shouldn't happen, or just say, you know what, it's a reality. Uh, yeah. I, am, I am personally friends with uh, the general superintendent of Ghana. He has yeah. stayed in my home. I have stayed in his home. He's asked me to mentor their leaders. And now, I grew up in the system enough to know, hey, Greg Beggs, are you comfortable with me connecting here? Dada? Yes, I am. But I promise you, Paul from Pong Manson connects with me more than he does Greg Beggs. Hmm. We're a general superintendent of two countries, da 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 da. Now I'm not I'm not a maverick and I understand the system, but that's a that's a new reality where a lot of these um national churches yeah. have relationship with AG USA or other national church apart from the yeah. AGWM structure. Um and I don't 
you can't change that. I don't think we're going to bulk against it, um, but leverage it. Yeah. Don't don't be threatened by that. Don't hmm. find a way to find a way to use that to an advantage rather than because the world's getting flat. It's global. People are yeah. connecting. Um, I wish that that weren't the case. I wish that some national churches would respect the system and kind of come through instead of bypassing and going to a large church. But you know what? That happens. So large churches develop relationships with large national churches. So find a way to sort of um, not just tolerate that, but celebrate it in such a way that it's not a, becomes a competing entity for what the national for what we AGWM feels important to do. But how do we leverage that? How do we Good. how do we develop that? And I, uh, uh, but that's just kind of a reality from where I'm sitting. I, mm. I, I I get I get interacting with a lot of superintendents hmm. from countries. Probably talk to them more so than I do their area directors. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes sense. And uh, as you said, the world is and, I, you know, I, I'm a nurse practitioner. I've come out and, um, you know, serve in different areas. But I don't know what it means to pastor of a church of 150 because I've never pastored. Um, and so it makes perfect sense that people would identify with those that are in the same place. And I'm not pastoring a church in Nairobi. And um, to have the uh, nothing to prove, nothing to lose attitude as you're sharing and and not to be a block, but to be a door and help open those doors and um, encourage them is uh, is exciting. Pastor Doug, I've appreciated you giving of your time today. Will you pray for us? Um, will you pray for us and, um, and in whatever way um, you would like? Yeah, I'd be honored to. Hey, God, thank you um, for this privileged opportunity to expand your kingdom uh, in the place where you've put us and called us. So, God, I pray a couple things. Um, I first and foremost pray that we'd come really content with Ephesians 2.10, that we're your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good deeds that you've prepared in advance for us to do that we would, we would stay in love with the place of our calling, our divine assignment, and then give us a spirit of Caleb, that the older we get, we grow with passion, that uh, at 80, we can say the same at age 40, man, give me that hill, I'm ready to go, I can fight as strong as I did. I just pray that, the, that as we relive our calling, as we understand our calling, our place in the body of Christ, we would we would run and, and, and to, the, to, the, to the best of our ability. God, I pray that you would canopy your missionaries with encouragement. I pray there would literally be a canopy of your divine encouragement over them. And as they, some of them are coming back to, to places that, that look different, function different, act different, as, as all of us are probably going to be faced with some... Um, threatened religious freedoms and liberties. Great. How do we, how do we pivot? How do we make, how do we continue to stay missionally fruitful despite of what's happening around us culturally? So I pray for your anointing and a, a canopy of your, again, your encouragement and blessing over every missionary. Thanks for the great work that you're doing, not just in Africa, but you're doing in Kenya and you're doing in and through Nairobi throughout that, uh, country. So I pray, I pray your good hand of blessing over the leadership and um, continue just to uh, use us to build your kingdom till you call us away. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. 
Amen. 